Hello, 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 or should I say, hurry, 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 and let's step right up as we step into the immersive world of Guillermo del Toro, and you're stepping into Popcorn for Breakfast. It's our movie review episode with your co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. I am your other co-host, Cam. I don't know. What, was that your carny voice, Kirk? I like that. That's that's my carny voice. I think they all <laughs> sound just like that. They do. Yeah, that was spot on. Uh, we're here. We're reviewing Nightmare Alley, which is the latest film from Guillermo del Toro. And it's getting a lot of buzz, Kirk. It dropped on HBO Max this week. It's also in theaters right now. Um, so if you haven't seen it, first of all, fair warning to you, this will be a spoiler full episode of, of Popcorn for, the bre- for Breakfast. So... If you don't want to get spoiled, now's your chance to exit and and come back after you watch it. But like I said, you can watch it on HBO Max. You can watch it in theaters. I believe in theaters right now, it's in black and white, if I understand correctly. That's right. It is a re-release. This movie got released in the thick of Omicron. I mean, it was like this was released and the next day the Omicron virus was released. So it did not do, <laughs> did well, not and, do great box office numbers. And it was released the week after No Way, no Way Home. So it's right. like, I mean, there's not much of a shot for like an art house type film, which which I would still like, even though Guillermo's big now, like I still consider this like an art house, like small budget type of production. Um, so yeah, didn't really have a fair shake at its first go around in the box office. May not even this time around, but there are lots of ways to support this movie. You can watch it in theaters still. You can watch it on HBO Max, like Kirk and I did. Um, also on Hulu. Uh, I don't. I haven't looked into the details on that, but it's on oh. HBO Max and Hulu, which is something that's sort of happened a few times as rights got split up between the different streaming services for different windows. So fascinating. You can watch it on either. If you have a preference in terms of resolution and stream quality, user interface, you have you have your pick of the litter there. Um, but we're going to be reviewing this film. And it's cool that it re-released in black and white because this is actually a remake. I did not realize that. This film is actually a remake of a 1947 film by the same name, uh, directed by Edmund Goulding. Uh, and it's a noir film. It's, it's considered a sort of a noir-style film, so the black and white would really suit it for the era, and it takes place within that era even in this movie. It's sort of a period piece in nature. Um, but let's get into it. Let's get into Nightmare Alley as I am going to be the one synopsing the latest from Guillermo del Toro. So based on, uh, you know, the, the 1947 original film here, Nightmare Alley follows the story of Stanton Carlisle, who is, you know, kind of, he, he's sort of a drifter. He's a guy we don't really know much about. We get a little bit of a look into his past right at the beginning where it is heavily hinted at that he had something to do with the death of his father. You know, the first scene that we see with him He's dragging a dead body. He's putting it in a hole. He's pouring, you know, gasoline all over it. And then he's lighting the house on fire. Next thing you know, he's jumping on a bus and he's getting out of town. And where that bus stops at the end of the line is at a carnival. Uh, One of these carnivals that back in the day would kind of run through town. uh, Sort of like not exactly (laughs) a reputable establishment. They've got some, uh, you know, the types of folks that you would associate with, with, uh, you know, 1940s, 1950s carnivals, you know, uh, just kind of kind of shady, shady group there. And so Stanton sees this as an opportunity to sort of pick himself up by his bootstraps and start a new life. You know, we see him at the beginning kind of learning about the carny lifestyle and learning about everything and then trying to figure out where he fits in. 
And where he finds himself fitting in is with an act and a routine uh, based on mentalism, which is, you know, people who say they can see into the other realm and find details, but it's all just a, you know, just a very like well orchestrated act between two people. They use like vocal cues and things like that to help sort of steal information and then feed it back to people as if they just came up with it all their own. Um, so really what this story is, is sort of a story of Icarus, you know, like a guy who, who float, flew too close to the sun, someone who finds success and rides that success so high that it's actually too high and, and gets so close that he actually ends up getting burned in epic fashion. Uh, so that's pretty much it, Kirk. We're going to get into it. It's got a star-studded cast. Bradley Cooper is Stanton Carlisle. Rooney Mara plays Molly. Tony Collette plays Xena. And Kate Blanchett is uh, the therapist whose name I'm forgetting at the moment. But uh, there's also Richard Jenkins, Willem Dafoe, Ron Perlman. Uh, just a really, really good cast. And lots of people who've worked with Guillermo in the past. So... It's fun to see. And I knew nothing about this movie going into it, so I have not seen the original. I plan to watch it now, um, but I didn't know anything about it. And to be frank, like you could have named any of Guillermo del Toro's previous films, Nightmare Alley, and contextually it would have made just as much sense because all of his <laughs> movies are horrifying to some extent. They, they make you a little bit uneasy. Like even Sh- Shape of Water, you could have called that Nightmare Alley, and I would have been like, eh, yeah, sure. Makes sense. That's right. That's so true. Yeah. And this, as I also understand it, this is also based on a book. The original movie was based on a book ah, called gotcha. a novel uh, called Nightmare Alley. And as I also understand it, this one follows the book more closely than the noir film made in the 40s. I think it was 1947. Um, yeah. Great. Uh, great cast. Did you say Willem Dafoe? Willem is Dafoe. Right? Yep. Willem Dafoe. Uh, and of course, Kate Blanchett, Dr. Lilith Ritter. Lilith Ritter. Dr. Yep. Lilith Ritter. Yeah. It's crazy. So, uh, lots of buzz about this movie, but let's get into it. I will be kicking us off this week with our acting superlatives, and I have the honor and the privilege of going with one of my favorite actors in the biz, Mr. Bradley Cooper himself. Um, he's got a really interesting character study on his hands in this in this movie because he is, you know, at the beginning of his story, he, I mean, he goes through an insane arc that is, is sort of, you know, not even an arc, it's a full, full circle by the end of it. Um, but at the beginning of this story, he is learning everything just as we are. He says almost nothing. You know, he's really just kind of like, he gets into the carnival world. He's like, hey, I can be of help, you know, give me a dollar and I'll work, uh, you know, trying to look around at the show and stuff like that. But as he, as he kind of gets his footing and gets his, uh, gets starts to figure out what's going on there, he realizes that he has a set of tools, which is his charisma and his um, his ability to manipulate people with his words that can fit in really well in this world and even beyond this world. You know, he feels like with the knowledge that he can sort of learn slash steal from these people, he can turn it he can turn himself into uh, you know very a very wealthy and and successful person. And to watch Bradley Cooper go through that is such an interesting journey because you start out with this really ominous opening scene of him just like dragging this body in a house and then lighting the house on fire and then rolling out. So you're like, okay, what's going on here? This guy is clearly shady, but you really don't know what his deal is. You know, like, was he involved in the murder of this person? Was he, um, 
you know, was it something that was totally out of his control? Did he find this? Was it a property that he owned? You know, there's, there's so many questions that could have been there, but there's always this sort of like, this guy's up to no good thing. But Bradley Cooper, who's really turned into one of the premier actors that we have um, in the field at this point, I mean, just really over the last few years has just skyrocketed to superstardom and, and critical acclaim. But he does this really great job of, shielding the audience from what the character's journey is going to be. And he's doing his best to sort of not play his hand. You know, he has to simultaneously develop the character in a way that makes sense while also protecting the audience from information that they're not meant to know yet. So it has to make sense in the moment. And it also has to make sense when you look back on the journey and go, Oh, you know, I should have picked up on this, that, or the other. And that's what Bradley Cooper does so well. And I would say that just in general, Bradley Cooper has such an effortless, um, and I'm sure it's not effortless. I'm sure it takes a lot of work, but he has sort of an effortless feeling of charisma all around him, which just made him a perfect casting choice for this role. There were so many scenes where, you're like, yeah, I would buy anything that guy tried to sell me. I would I would do anything that that guy said because he is just so slick and suave and everything that Bradley Cooper really kind of is. And he's played characters similar to this before, I think sort of in American Hustle, um, you know, a few other of his roles throughout the years. But I just really felt like he was a perfect casting choice. So take his abilities his fit for this role, marry it to Guillermo del Toro's incredible direction with a, with a really pretty good script and story arc here for this character. And it just all worked out really well. So Bradley Cooper, the man of the hour, and uh, maybe we'll get some Oscar love. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Bradley Cooper, BC. Also my choice for the Oscar goes to, it's a simple choice. It really, really is. Um, I love what you said there. You know, we get introduced to, this man who says almost nothing for five straight minutes to the point where I I turned to Aubrey and I said, "Uh, he's not going to talk this entire movie, is he? And then he started speaking. Of course Uh, it was wonderful. The the whole delivery, I would have been fascinated if he'd said nothing the entire movie. However, we wouldn't have got the incredible performance otherwise without it. Bradley Cooper started uh, his, his big premiere was in the hit nineties show um, or maybe early two thousands alias where he had, his wonderful head of hair, brunette hair and frosted highlighted tips. And then he went on to do such great things as like the hangover series and limitless to totally redirecting his career to silver linings playbook, um, to American hustle, to nightmare alley, to directing, to get nominated as, as a, as a full fledged uh, best picture film. The man has no limits, much like limitless. I think he really did take that pill. He, does a fantastic job of differentiating himself from this character where we see, um, just as, as Cam described, we we become the audience that becomes kind of the mark. Uh, the mentalist has a mark who he's trying to uh, take information from and um, kind of buff up their ego. And we get that kind of information shielded and given to us at different times. So we, the audience, become a mark from Bradley Cooper's performance at times. We get some, we get some leeway into it and then we get taken out of it, in and out. It's fantastic. It's very suave. It's very smooth. And his arc from going to to rock bottom, to having everything and losing it all again is quite, quite fantastic. And 
never in it are you saying no he couldn't be uh, he couldn't be this successful this character couldn't be this successful he takes it all with stride he takes it all with this um this con man uh earnesty <laughs> if that's if that phrase makes sense he really does slide slide up the ladder and then a drastic just fantastic fall from it all uh so bradley cooper there's there's none other who i would give this award to in nightmare alley yeah, I think the other thing that I totally forgot to mention, you kind of sparked it as you were talking there. The other thing that Bradley Cooper does really well is to make it, to to give you the ability to see or feel like you're seeing him reading people. You know, you can see the wheels turning in his head, which is, you have to remember, he knows what's happening. You know, really, he's an actor. He has the script. He knows what's going on. He may not know the whole thing. I don't know how Guillermo did it, but he knows what's happening in that moment and what the person's going to say. But in so many of those scenes with Kate Blanchett, where they're sort of in this psychological tug of war, her being the therapist, him being the, the mentalist, and they're both trying to feel each other out, gain ground, gain uh, credibility and, and rapport with each other. You can see the wheels in his head turning, which is just something that, is is next level for so many actors. We I mean we talked about it on here all the time. It's it's so much not delivery and the things that people normally take about think about whenever they think about a good acting performance. It's the other stuff. It's when they're not the focal point of the scene or when they're on the scene but they're not talking, they're listening. That's what sets the greats apart and that's what Bradley Cooper does so well in everything he does but uh, particularly in this role in Nightmare Alley. That's so true. Last thing, it, he, they leave the, the chemistry between them, specifically between him and uh, Rooney Mara, they leave like this this space almost where you almost believe, wait a second, does he actually have the power? <laughs> Can he actually yeah, right? communicate with the other side and have ESP? It, it really does almost feel like that in scenes, like almost to the very end, you're like, wait a second. Does he? Can he? Uh, so that part, that little space that they leave, that little that little X factor magic that they they leave the possibility in their their back and forths. I love that too. Yeah, good point. Good point. Let's let's jump into the supporting cast. Uh, I mean, interesting slate of options to choose from here. For me, I'm going with somebody who is really rising up the ranks of my favorites, and that's Tony Collette. I, I love Tony Collette. She plays Zena in this film. Oh my gosh, her skill set. Tony Collette, first of all, has range galore. I mean, she she's been in she was in Hereditary. She's been in a horror film. She was she played like the rich trust fund baby bimbo in Knives Out. I mean, she just like you see her in all these different roles. If you've watched the show, unbelievable. She plays a detective in that incredible performance. Um, everything she does, it, it never ceases to amaze me, and. Xena is a great character for her. Maybe not as much dialogue and uh, screen time as you would expect for someone who is of her stature and, and is rising the way that she is through the industry. But man, does she make the most of, of what she's given with her character, which is to sort of take on this almost like weirdly maternal role <laughs> with Bradley Cooper's character. and And to also do a good job of, you know, he is sort of involved in the death of her partner. You know, the, he he leads him down the drunken path that gets him killed and then steals his book of tricks to go become a mentalist of his own. And she sort of 
leaves things floating there where you're like, does she know? Does she not know? And that makes her performance so much more impactful because whenever she's talking to him, you're like trying to read her and you're like, okay, what does she know? Like, is she, is she onto him? Is she actually trying to warn him? Does she actually have his best interest in mind? Uh, And it just makes for a really deep and and well-rounded and layered character who really, again, doesn't have that much dialogue or screen time, but she's just incredible. I I mean, I love everything that I've seen Tony Collette do so far. And this is another feather in her cap. I think she is a powerhouse. I mean, an absolute powerhouse. She hasn't had like, to me, I feel like she still hasn't had her like big uh, role, you know, like something that's going to get her Academy award acclaim. Um, But it's coming. I I think, I think it's definitely coming for her and, and she, 100% 100% is skilled enough to do it. And this is, a again, another feather in her cap. So good job, Tony Collette. You were awesome. Beautiful choice. Beautiful choice. That performance in Unbelievable is so good. Oh, the, yeah, that's great. Actually, that whole trio of women in that yes. show is insane. They're just absolutely so talented and, and so well-performed. Supernatural. Their their performances are supernatural in that piece. Uh, loaded series. Go watch it. So my scene stealer this one this one was tough i also wavered back and forth for a long time cam um between two characters one of which is directly in my showstopper and one of which gets my scene stealer and if you listened to the past and specifically on the last review i turned the tides on miss Frances mcdormand and now i'm ready to Uh-oh. do that with oh <laughs> cameron's guessed it kate blanchett <laughs> kate blanchett that wow, is right Kirk. She is someone who has puzzled me in her uh, her performances, in her likability, in her skill as an actor, and I I just never saw it. I, well, I understood it. I understood that people thought she was good, skilled, all that, but I just never saw the X factor until this movie. And I will say it, it even took a long time to get to that in this movie because she comes in uh, uh, in the second of three acts in this movie and. I really, really enjoyed it. I also, you know, recently saw, we, we also reviewed Don't Look Up. She's in that. And I was like, wait a second. She is really good in this. And so I don't know if it's this year. She's just feeling it. You know, she's like, she's on the road to Oscar dumb uh, in the Academy. We'll see. Kate Blanchett potentially as an option at the Academy for best supporting actress with this performance. Uh, the way she slithers into this, this, twisted web and finds her opportunity with uh, with Stanton uh, with Bradley Cooper and decides I'm gonna get my payback I'm gonna get my revenge and I'm gonna use this lying cheating manipulative low-life con man in order to do it and it's just really sly from top to bottom. Uh, the the big reveal that she has swapped the money and she is rolling out and she has all of this uh, back evidence to, to make sure that she as the psychiatrist is seen as the truthful person and that Bradley Cooper is the deceptive one who thought up this whole evil plan. I mean, the, the turnaround on that was spectacular. Um, even if you kind of knew it was coming, uh, or you're hoping that it was coming, you're, the pacing seems like it is, and she just lets us have it. So Kate Blanchett, you've been redeemed for this performance, so I'm watching, but well done. Wow, Kirk. The redemption tour continues, man. The, the, the Kirk redemption <laughs> tour, he's, he's, he's making amends with, with people who 
have crossed him with their overhype <laughs> in the past. You know, that's right. That's you know, you, you're like, listen, you don't deserve the clout, but now they're starting to get in your good graces, Kirk, and, and I respect it. As someone who tends to dig their heels in and not give up an inch of, of territory on my takes. I have to say that uh, I'm impressed and inspired by, by what you're doing here, Kirk. So good job. Good on you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Let's move into the production here. Oh, man. Guillermo. Guillermo, Guillermo, Guillermo. This guy, he's one of the best that we have. His last film, as you may remember, Shape of Water, it won Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, so much to dig into here with this production in this film, but let's let's dive into it. Um, my showstopper, which is the thing that blew me away is of course the production design, but more specifically the carnival, the design, the set design and production design of the carnival was insanely perfect. Like perfect to such an insane degree that I actually couldn't fathom it. And it it hurt me that the carnival was only act one of the movie because I just didn't want to leave that world. Whenever we left to go to, the big city, bigger heights, you know, the ballrooms and, and, and the fancy penthouse type apartments and, and things like that, uh, mansions of Acts 2 and 3. I was sad because the carnival was just so breathtakingly beautiful. And not not beautiful in the way that you think. Like, it was actually beautiful because it was grimy. Like, it looked, it looked so much like it should look. It was insane. Like 19, I'm thinking period piece, 1947 from the moment you see the big landscape shop and all you can see is the lit up Ferris wheel all the way into the fun house. Oh my gosh, the fun house, everything in there looking like you can tell that it's colorful, but it's, it's just been worn. It's the years and years like of wear and tear and people's hands touching it and getting loaded up on a truck in the rain and the mud and dragged across three towns. Like it was all there in the design of the set all the way down to the set that Stanton Carlisle in quotes designs of Molly's big electric chair routine that she has where she grabs the, you know, the rounded uh, orbs and has the current flow through her with the big giant switch with the wheel behind it. I, I mean, it was just breathtaking. I, I, can, I, could, I was shocked. I was literally watching it with my mouth wide open going, look at this set, look at the design, look at the lighting and the production and the aesthetic. It's so consistent. It's so clean. It so fits the vibe of the narrative and the direction. Um, it was an absolute masterclass. The carnival was insanity. I, I, I cannot get over it. And when we saw West Side Story, I said, okay, Oscar season's coming up. Production design typically goes to Guillermo because the dude is unmatched. Pan's Labyrinth, Shape of Water. I mean, the kinds of worlds that this guy can create are next level with his team. And I was like, West Side Story has a chance. Spielberg did such a great job there. And now I'm like, Guillermo, you sly devil. I, I just, I think it's going to be him. It's, it's, I don't know how you give it to anybody else, to be honest. It's just such a, such a unique world and such a perfect touch. Um, attention to detail to the max. So for me, production design, but more specifically the carnival, really, really well done. Beautiful. You know it's Guillermo. You know it's Guillermo. You get this crystal clear picture, crystal clear sets, crystal crystal clear direction on the aesthetic. It's it's perfect all, all throughout. Uh, even the, the filter that, that we see the lens through. My showstopper goes to the garden scene. The Ooh, yeah the just dark and 
just beautiful garden, horrific information coming out, shocking information coming out, and the the summoning, the seance, the fake seance of having Dory, played by Rooney Mara, who is really playing Molly, uh, as Dory comes into the garden, blood dripping from her hands on her dress. That whole sequence was fantastic we get a little sprinkle of uh that 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 world war ii is going on we get a little sprinkle of that the danger of the bodyguard the danger of course the full front danger of uh of of richard jenkins and his dark dark past um and then everything just unravels i mean you you see dory as this this dark just zombie angel almost uh, just in, in this, the moonlight uh, lit only by the moonlight and the garden lights and uh, the white dress. Th- I mean, I could go on. <laughs> it's just perfect. It really is just perfect. It And it totally um, just catapults the rest of the film. There is no stopping after that because we automatically get the the murder uh, of of the millionaire. Uh, Bradley Cooper just like destroys his nose. There's nothing left of it after he pounds it to death. Um, he backs over the bodyguard, runs over the bodyguard, um, and then they're they're escaping uh, from from the world, all leading up to the penultimate moment of of him getting tricked by Dr. Lilith. And I just I can't speak enough on how how well placed that was they they give us a glimpse of that garden um in daylight and then they give us it just bathed in moonlight and um bathed in the the horrible horrible things uh that we had no idea were behind the curtain um so bravo that that whole sequence was just awesome i could do a whole nother showstopper just on the snow <laughs> just on the, on the snowfall and like the way that it lay on the set and the way that it was yes. falling and it just looks so immaculate and so natural but also dreamlike in a way like the it's next level stuff it really is but that's a great pick let's jump over to the other side director's shoes something that we would have changed about the film i think for me and this is a big one this is a big one for me uh it's it's all just too predictable it like at every turn, I knew exactly what was going to happen. And I think that that's because perhaps the age of the story, things in general, like it, I think about this all the time, the Maltese Falcon. I went back and watched that movie. It's meant to be one of the greatest movies of all time. When you watch it now, having seen all of the detective fiction and all of the different plot lines and, and fancy twists and cool things that people have come up with, it really pales in comparison. At the time, I think it was like, head explosion amazing twist but when you watch it now you're like oh here's what's going to happen and it does in this movie um perhaps because the story is older and didn't have the benefit of years and years of you know adaptation and and building on other people's ideas etc it really is predictable at every turn and i mean every turn i i knew from the second that willem dafoe is talking to bradley cooper in the diner about the geek how do you get a geek to to do it? And he's like, oh, well, it's actually very, very difficult. And he goes through the steps. I'm like, there's the end of the movie right there. It's going to be Bradley Cooper becoming a geek. And so you're watching it, and that's probably, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes into the movie, and you're going, well, that's how it ends. And 
then, you know, when Dr. Lilith comes into the mix, you're like, okay, this is not going to end well with her. She's totally going to be a shyster. She's totally going to Shanghai him on this whole thing. He's been gaslighting everybody. She's going to gaslight him. Just at every turn, it was predictable. And, and because of that, it hurts the pacing because you're like, okay, I know what's going to happen in this scene. Let's move on. And it hurts the effect. And I think that all of it was like, that's what's hard about, about it. Like, I, I feel like they did a good job with the writing and they did a good enough job with the the actual pacing of the movie to try to disguise it and things like that. And yet it was still just so predictable. It was just such a familiar tale and you just know from the beginning, this is a guy who's going to fly too close to the sun. He's going to get burnt. And so you're watching it all through that lens and really, you know, it just takes sort of the air out of your balloon a little bit and you don't really feel as engaged or connected, even though the sets are great. The acting's great. The writing is really good too. Um, it just, for, for that reason, it's, it's really hard to stay engaged all the way to the end of the two hour and 30 minute movie when you know pretty much from the beginning how it's going to end. I don't know. Maybe that's just me. Hopefully. <laughs> like I hope that other people are surprised by it, but I, I was not. No, you're right on. I, I mean, I have to give accolades to my wife, your sister. She said the same thing. She's like, hmm, he will become the geek by the end of this yeah, movie. <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I was like, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's uh, everything, the pacing of it just seems very um, cause and effect uh, throughout. Yes. So honestly, the biggest reveal was, that was you know, Richard Jenkins character where he just says, Oh, I've, I've heard a lot of women. Yes, that was, that was the only moment. Good point, Kirk. That was the only moment where I go, Oh, that's (laughs) right. That's kind of drops. You're like, uh, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but then of course it connects Kate Blanchett, why he wants to go specifically after him. Cause of course she was hurt by him. Uh, that scarring, she must've been the one that got away. At least that's how I read it. Same director's shoes. Um, I got to point this out for just right out in the open. I am not a carnival fan. I'm not, I'm not a, not a carnival fan because I'm scared of carnivals. It's just not, I just don't, um, uh, it doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. It, it, it just doesn't like, Ooh, very good. You know, I can still at the same time appreciate the incredible set, the incredible, uh, textures and care that everything went into that. And Cam, you described it beautifully. I think if uh, we send this to Guillermo, he's probably going to hire you as his hype man because of how you <laughs> described, like carrying it through two cities and fingers have touched everything. It was such a good description that you said earlier. Um, but carnivals just, I'm just like, meh, you know, they seem, they seem too much of a trope to me. Um, even though every single carnival movie or show that I've seen has been different. And t- again, to Guillermo's uh, just masterfulness, it, it does rise above the rest it just doesn't keep my interest so the good news is we have an all-star cast with incredible incredible talent that's able to build relationships in a way that keeps this story going and i think that it it kind of ties into what cam said it it loses momentum uh quite often um we stay in the carnival for a really long time and then it's almost like a different movie once we hit uh, uh stanton carlisle's Uh, rise to uh, not fame, but his rise to success, if you will. Um, We, it it seems like we have, we've bit, we know kind of what we're going to end with the geek, but like it turns, it turns a corner and you're like, whoa, 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 completely different aesthetic, still beautiful, but 
we're we're no longer anywhere near the carnival and then we hit the carnival um as expected in the last about three and a half minutes of the movie had we not ended back at the carnival i think that this movie would have gone way down on my ranking because that's the only thing that makes this whole story cohesive uh because we we know where it's going pretty early on we get a big first act in the carnival and then we are running um, nowhere for a long time as we just kind of watch him maneuver and then everything hits the fan uh, once once uh, all the death happens in that garden scene so the pacing is a little off for me it's a little disjointed and I think it lies specifically in the transition to when uh, Stanton and Molly run away uh, to to be successful. They run away with the, with the code book, but then they invite the friends back. There's not a lot of time that passes in between there, but he's already immediately successful. So I don't necessarily think that I'm upset that we go like night and day to uh, just decrepit armpit of the world carnival to uh, life and luxury ballrooms, as you mentioned. But it's just there's not a lot of uh there's not a lot of room to get there so i think the the is the biggest issue i have with this movie is is transitions um because there's just it's just a little murky a little muddy just kind of like oh just accept us now we're here but we got there too quick right we got there too quick so that's that's my gripe i'm sorry guillermo um we'll talk soon yeah yeah it's abrupt it's abrupt. It's an abrupt transition, and I think that uh, if you, in the first act of three, the carnival, if you have figured out that he will become the geek by the end of the movie, it's really hard to stay engaged. It's really, you know, if you know, okay, what he said to Molly about giving her, her the world and everything in it, that's not going to be legit, and he's going to end up right back here at rock bottom, you know, as a drunk, whatever, like... If you've got that, you're really it's really hard to stay locked in on the rest. And when that transition happens and it's abrupt and you have to adapt to this new world, you're like, eh, you know, I don't know that I'm gonna hang on for that ride. I think uh, right. I think I think I get it and uh, I'll kind of watch, but um, I, I I know what's gonna happen from here out. So totally get that. All right, final thoughts and scores. Here we go. For me. This is tough because the artistry is really top notch and the cinematography, the set design, all the things that, you know, we were gushing about during Showstopper, it's legit and it's best in class and it's the kind of stuff that you're, you know, you've come to expect from Guillermo del Toro, but also that you expect to see in Oscar nominated films. I mean, it really is that good. And the acting performances are good and the written dialogue is really good. So the exchanges between characters uh, is good and, you know, there are lots of good things going for it, but I think the predictability really drags it back because it makes the watching experience, I don't want to say excruciating, but it, it because that's way, that's way too strong a word, but it does make it, it makes it a tough watch and it makes it, it makes the two and a half hours feel really long. This is why I, I, I can't remember the last review we did where pacing wasn't mentioned. It's such a crucial part of a cinematic piece because especially a narrative like this that's supposed to be, you know, story first, artistry second. This movie has a good narrative in theory, but really put the artistry first and the narrative came second. And I think that it hurts it because if you can sit there and go, here's what's going to happen. And I'm not a super genius. I've seen lots of movies, but I'm not, 
you know, my wife predicts more movies than I, like, I can't tell you the number of times that we sat next to each other in a movie. My wife's probably seen half as many movies as I have. And she'll go, here's what's going to happen. And I'm like, what you think so? And then by the end, I'm like, Oh, so like if, if I, if I can predict it, it's not the most shielded and veiled thing. So that really drug it down for me. Um, which is a shame because it's really beautiful. And, and, and I, I, I don't know if it'll get nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. I think it has a chance because it's kind of a muddy year for Best Picture nominees, but it's certainly not my pick for Best of the Year. I'm going to give it a 7.9 out of 10. It's just out of eight territory, just out of being great. And really it gets to that 7.9 because it's such a gorgeous film and such eye candy to watch and that's that's actually the reason you do hang on until the end is because of the acting performances and the aesthetic it's really what keeps you latched through the whole two and a half hours Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I want to say something about guessing movies, and I don't know the honest truth about this, but we need to have uh, Aubrey and and Jackie on to to get to the bottom of this. I feel the same way. I feel Aubrey's good, dude. Oh man, she's real good. I feel like she's like this and I'm like Dang it! Why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I know, I know, she's good. I, I mean, I watched movies with her growing up my whole life, and I can't tell you how many times in a movie theater she leans over and she's like, "I think this is going to happen," and I'm like, "Yeah, right." And then it does, and you're like, "Oh man." We'll let them defend themselves at some point, but here's what I think. I think that um, when you and I see movies, I want the world to disappear. Uh, yes. There are moments in those in movies and film where it should happen pretty early on. You get past some initial exposition. Um, sometimes it's beat one, beat two. Um, like Spider-Man No Way Home, man, it sucks you in immediately. And yeah. I kid you not, I see nothing else for the full duration of, of the films. Um, I've seen live performances. Um, one recently of, of like this this high schooler and I just, I wrote on, on, I was judging her and I wrote on her thing. I just want to let you know that the entire classroom that you're performing in disappeared while you were performing and that's that's what i think we we get blinders on you and i and we're like all right let's go like i'm i'm blue skidooing into this movie i'm watching this play out i think that's our downfall but also our strength cameron (laughs) yeah jackie's just like there are only six types of movies it will fall (laughs) into one of these categories and this is what will happen and i like i just can't scope out like that i take everything at face value (laughs) (laughs) that's right that's right it's like what are they communicating (laughs) let's see and that's why we're men let's go on my final thoughts and score um the acting this is a film that is a, a an incredibly well-acted piece that suffers from its source material. Again, this is a an, a an adaptation of the book that it came from with the mindfulness that there was a 1947 noir film that has some pretty big, um, pretty, pretty big circles. As I understand, I think that after that movie came out, there was, there was some sort of phrase uh, that, that people like asked each other to kind of as like kind of a password code to know if they were really film noir fans that included Stanton Carlisle's name in the phrase. I'll have to look it up for you. See if I can post it later. Um, but this, this retelling of this story um, either way, it doesn't quite get there. And when you have such an amazing track record from Guillermo del Toro, it's, 
it's kind of shocking. Uh, it, it's like, am I, am I watching this correctly? <laughs> you know? Um, and I think, I think I did. And it just didn't hit, hit it out of the park for me. Um, upon immediate reaction, I wanted to destroy this film um, because yes, it looks perfect. Yes. The acting is great, but those transitions really chopped this bad boy up for me. But then I did reconsider and uh, I thought, you know, transitions are tough, but you know, um, George Lucas's transitions considered of a PowerPoint slideshow going left, up, and down, and sometimes at a diagonal. <laughs> so <laughs> I have to give it more credit than that um, to one of the greatest franchises in in film history. So this um, gets way more than the four that I wanted to give it initially. I'm giving it a 6.5 out of 10 kernels. And I think we have some potential uh, potential supporting characters in here. Um, even though Bradley Cooper gave it an all-star performance, I don't know that it gets him to the top of the list at the Academy ballot. However, that final maniacal laugh that he does in this film, um, as I understand it, um, according to online trivia, that was done in his first take. And wow, 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 wow. Beautiful. Just absolutely haunting. He's one of the best to do it. He really is. I think people people see Bradley Cooper and may, maybe still see see The Hangover and, and Limitless whenever they look back. Both actually really good performances. You know, right. Just different types of movies than the types that he's in now. But make no mistake about it, he's he's one of the best to do it and, and one of the best that we have right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's tough. It, the acting categories are so tough this year. They are every year because you only get five nominees per gender, per lead and supporting. Right. Um, so it's it's always tough, but he could squeak in there. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, that's Nightmare Alley. That's our review. If you checked it out, please let us know. You can let us know on Discord. You can let us know on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok maybe? I don't know. You could tag us in a video if you made it. We do have a TikTok. Yes. Uh, let's get weird. Let's get weird. You can let us know on our website. We can take comments there. Um carrier pigeon i don't know like whatever you need to yes. do let's let's talk about this movie and all the others thank you so much for listening as always as kirk and i share our thoughts on this and other films we'll have another review coming your way next week though we don't know what it is yet but we will keep you posted that's all we got for you today i want to give a special thanks to our executive producer ryan spriggs as well as the band rhetoric whose music you were hearing right now check those guys out on spotify anywhere else you can listen to music and we will see you guys next week. Talk to you then. <laughs>